This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. The Holy Rebbe, Reb Meir Premishlan, was known as a great tzaddik, very humble, and went out of his way to take care of his fellow Jews. And even when he was a young child, he couldn't bear to see somebody suffering. And so he would go door to door, shul to shul, collecting money to help poor Jews. He didn't mind living in poverty, and he didn't mind giving up his time and his possessions and his money to help his fellow Jews. And at the same time, he went out of his way to avoid drawing any attention to himself. And in a sense, he raised himself on a diet of mesirut nefesh, of self-sacrifice, humility, and modesty. And a year after he got married, he offered himself to a wealthy Jew to teach his children Torah and give them a Jewish education, which was a common way for a Torah scholar to support themselves in those days. They would go away for six months or a year, teach the wealthy Jews' children, and then come back, usually for Tishrei or for Pesach, and then go back again and teach the wealthy Jews' children. And so Reb Meir got a job quite far away from home. And the first time a poor person knocked on the door of this wealthy Jew's mansion, Reb Meir was very surprised at how the wealthy Jew treated him. Let's say a Jew was asking for just a little piece of bread or a small coin, not asking for so much. This wealthy Jew would get angry and he would say, I should give you from my hard-earned money. I work and I create businesses and I have employees, and I have overhead and expenses, and I should give my money to you? Why don't you go get a job? You go work and deal with the stress of running a business. Then you won't need to come here and ask for donations. And every time a poor person came by the door, they were treated in the same way. And after a few weeks, Reb Meir was watching this again and again, and he was trying to focus on his job as a melamed to teach the children of this wealthy Jew. But he couldn't ignore what was happening. And as the weeks went by, it weighed on him more and more until he got to the point where he told the wealthy Jew, listen, I can't take it anymore. Poor people come to your door. You treat them so poorly. You don't help them. You give them tochacha. You rebuke them. Make them feel bad. It's not okay. So the wealthy Jew says to Reb Meir, what do you want me to take from your salary and pay those people? And Reb Meir says, yeah, that's a great idea. Every time a poor person comes to the door and asks for a coin, you can take it out of my salary. And so the wealthy Jew says, no problem, Mayor. You just keep teaching my kids and I'll keep a ledger right here that you can see every time I give a coin to a poor person to be taken out of your salary. And from that day on, every time a poor person came to the door, they received a meal and a coin and it went to the expense of Reb Mayor's salary. And Reb Mayor was quite happy. He would be sitting teaching the wealthy Jew's children and there would be a knock at the door. Some poor Jew who hadn't eaten in days would say, could you please give me a coin and a meal, something to eat? And Reb Meir would look over his shoulder and he would see the servant of the wealthy Jew would invite the poor Jew in, give him a meal, and then give him a coin as he left. And then the servant went over to the ledger and wrote down one coin, one meal. And Meir went back to teaching and was very happy. The beggars were also happy. Word got around that this wealthy Jew was all of a sudden generous. And anyone who was hungry could get a meal, and they would leave with a coin. 
So before anyone knew it, there were more and more poor Jews coming to the house of this wealthy Jew than ever before. And every time the servant would take them in, give them a warm meal, let them go with a coin, and go to the ledger and write it down. Six months passed and it was almost Pesach time. Mayor was going to go back to his wife and his family. But before he left, he went to the owner of the estate and he said, I've taught your children now for six months. Please pay me my salary before I go home for Pesach. And the wealthy Jew says, sure, no problem, Mayor. Let's first do an accounting of the ledger and see how much money you already spent. And he went through the ledger, deducting all of the food and coins that Mayor had wasted on poor people. And when he finished, the wealthy Jew said to Mayor, Mayor, I'm sorry to tell you, but your salary has already been paid. Mayor said to the wealthy Jew, how can that be? I worked for you for six months. He said, yeah, but I gave your money away to all the poor people who came to my house. And now I owe you nothing. You can look at the ledger and tell for yourself. And Mayor looks at it. And as he's going over the ledger, the wealthy Jew says, listen, if I'm really being strict with the accounting here, not only do I not owe you any money, but you owe me. You are now indebted to me. And I can't believe that being such a good businessman, I allowed a simple Jew like you to take advantage of me. Give my money to poor people? What chutzpah? I can't believe that I fell into a trap like this. He told the mayor, you only come back here if you're willing to pay off your debt. Otherwise, take all your belongings with you. I don't want to see you again. And so with that, Mayor left the estate without any money in his pockets. But you're not a tzaddik for nothing. And Mayor simply said, okay. He packed up everything and decided to walk home. And as he was walking home, he was in an excellent mood. He was whistling and davening and looking at nature and praising Hashem for all the miracles he created in all of creation. And he kept reminding him that he has a wife and a family. He has his health. And he's able to learn Torah. And there's many more important things in the world than money. And just as Reb Meir is on the outskirts of the town of Premishlan, he notices something shiny in the road. He looks around. There's no one in front of him and no one behind him. He bends down and he sees that it's a very expensive gold coin worth much more than the entire salary he was supposed to receive as a Melamed. And then Reb Meir stands up straight and he thinks to himself, is this how Hashem would send me my livelihood? A coin being covered by the dust of the earth that people trampled over and that I should have to bend down and pick it up? I taught Jewish children for six months. This is not a respectable way for Hashem to send me my livelihood. And so Mayer did not pick up the coin, left it there in the dirt, and continued walking without thinking about it at all. And when he came home, the mayor's wife was very happy to see him. After all, he'd been away for six months. Not only that, everyone knew that Reb Meir was working as a Malamid, so all the stores were willing to extend credit to his wife. But now she had to pay off her debt. And Reb Meir didn't mention anything about the salary that he had earned. So for a few days, Reb Meir's wife didn't say anything. She knew her husband was a tzaddik, and if he wasn't going to mention his livelihood, there was a reason. But the next week, all of the stores were saying to Mayor's wife, No, your husband's back. When are you going to pay us? We extended your credit for six months. And so Mayor's wife goes to her husband and says, Mayor, I have to pay off her debts. Can you please give me from some of the money that you earned over the last six months? And Mayor didn't know what to answer his wife. So he said, My dear wife, I'm waiting to see how Hashem is going to give me my livelihood. 
And Reb Meir's wife didn't really understand what he was talking about because he just was working for six months for his livelihood. But she knew better than to ask questions of her husband. And that night he went to shul. And as he's davening, money is the furthest thing from his mind. And after he finishes davening, he goes to the Beit Midrash, study hall, and he's sitting and he's learning. And he's not even in this world. When all of a sudden, a servant of one of the wealthiest Jews in Premishlan comes and taps Reb Meir on the shoulder. And Reb Meir is startled. He looks over at the servant. He says, Shalom Aleichem, my friend, what can I do for you? And the servant says, Honorable Rabbi, my master has told me to deliver this package to you. And so Reb Meir opens up this envelope. And in it is a gold coin. Reb Meir jumps up from his book and he says, What is this? Where is this coin from? And the servant said that his master, the wealthy Jew, was coming back to Premishlan after a very long business trip. And he sees on the road a coin lying in the ground. He picks it up and he says, I don't need the money. I want to give this to a young Torah scholar. Let's take the names of all the young Torah scholars in Premishlan and put them in a hat. And I'll draw a name and whoever's name comes out will get the gold coin. And so the servant said, Reb Meir, your name was pulled out of the hat. And so my master wants you to have this coin. And Reb Meir took the coin and he realized that it was the same exact coin that he had seen on the road a week and a half before. And then he understood that this coin was truly meant for him. If he wasn't willing to pick it up from the dirt, Hashem would send it to him in a different way. And that night, Reb Meir came back home and gave the coin to his wife. And she went the next day and paid off all their debts and even had plenty of money left over. And after being home for a few weeks, Reb Meir found another wealthy Jew to work and teach his children for six months to make his living. But before he took the job, he asked the wealthy Jew, What do you do when a poor Jew comes knocking on your door? And the wealthy Jew said, Well, of course, I give him a warm meal and a coin to send him on his way. And with that, Reb Meir knew that that was the house where he was supposed to be the Malamed. Because as everybody knows, even though Hashem does miracles, we're not supposed to rely on them. I have another story for you, and this is a story about the Vilna Gaon, Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna, who, as everybody knows, was not a Hasid. As a matter of fact, he opposed the Hasidim, and he did it, of course, from a place of Avat Yisrael, of loving his fellow Jews. He truly believed that Hasidut, that the Hasidic movement, was a threat to the Jewish religion. Of course, we know afterwards that it wasn't. On the contrary, one of the reasons that Jews are still excited to be Jews is because of Hasidus. But even great Litvish rabbis deserve a Hasidic story every now and then. It was known that the Vilna Gaon, the genius of Vilna, who was one of the greatest rabbis of all time, always wanted to come to the Holy Land, to the land of Israel. And it meant so much to him that he sent some of his top students to settle in the land of Israel in the late 1700s. And right near me is a shul that was founded by the descendants of those students. And it's still called the Shul of the Gra, which stands for Gaon Rabbeinu Eliyahu, our great teacher, the Rabbi Eliyahu. 
And since I'm telling about the Beit Knesset of the Gra, I'll just tell you that once I was there and I led the davening, and I was leading it according to Nusachari, which is the Siddur of Chabad, and somebody got upset at me and pointed to a sign on the wall that said, in this shul, we only follow the traditions of the Gaon from Vilna. And so I was asked to not lead the davening anymore after that. So in the late 1700s, around 1777, the great rabbi was going around Europe collecting money to establish the community in Jerusalem. And he was planning on settling here himself. And for unknown reasons, he ended up in Amsterdam. And there in Amsterdam, where he remained for around two weeks, he changed his plans and went back to Vilna. Now, we don't know the reason. Some people say that what he was looking for, trying to find old Kabbalistic manuscripts he found in Amsterdam. Others say that he saw with his spiritual vision that he didn't have heavenly permission to move to the land of Israel. But whatever it was, one of his closest students, Rabbi Chaim of Volozhin, who was accompanying the Vilna Gaon on this trip to Amsterdam, recorded that the man that they were staying with asked the Vilna Gaon if he could recommend any improvements he could make in his life. What should he be working on to become a better person, to become a better Jew? And the Vilna Gaon told this host that he was very impressed with everything he had seen, but there was something that really stood out the Vilna Gaon wanted to know from his host, I notice every morning you prepare for your wife warm water and you wash her feet and you bring her breakfast and fresh coffee to her bed. In the Talmud it says that a man should love his wife as much as himself, but the devotion that you have for your wife goes way beyond what the Talmud says. And I would like to know, why do you give your wife so much respect? I mean, of course you're supposed to respect your wife. But to wash her feet and cook her breakfast and bring her fresh coffee to bed every day? I never saw anything like that in my life. So the host told the Vilna Gaon, When I was a child, I was a prodigy. I was able to remember all the Torah that I learned. And my father was a rabbi. And he didn't make very much money. But he was also a great scholar. And he would teach me. And I grew very quickly in my Torah learning. And one day a wealthy businessman he sees me. He tells my father, I want your son to marry my daughter when they grow up. And we were both very young. We were five or six years old at the time. But the families agreed that when the time came, the two of us would get married. And the wealthy businessman decided to support me in my Torah learning until the day came that I could get married to his daughter. And for six years, he supported me. But sadly, my father-in-law, as it goes sometimes, he lost all of his money. And he couldn't keep his promise to support me until the marriage. And after the marriage, and that was part of the marriage contract, and so the engagement was broken off. And a couple of years later, I was married to another young woman, also the daughter of a wealthy family. But not long after we got married, I became very weak. And I was so weak and sick, I couldn't move. The best doctors were brought in. Everyone checked me. They gave me all kinds of cures and medications. But nothing could help me. I was so weak that I had to be taken to the town's sick house so that the staff could take care of me. And a few years passed, and I was just getting worse. No improvement whatsoever. And my father-in-law asked that I please give his daughter a divorce so that she could get married and have a family. And I figured, I'm not going anywhere, so I might as well divorce her. And I did. I divorced her. And then one day, I'm laying there in the sick house. And this young Jewish guy was kind of an entrepreneur and heard about me. He comes and meets me. He sees that I'm a brilliant scholar. And he says to me, you know what? I've got a business deal for you. You're obviously a Torah genius. And you're laying here sick. 
can't even move. Let me take you around in my wagon from place to place. You'll teach a Torah lesson. Laying down in the wagon, people will take pity on you, and they'll pour money into the wagon. And you and I will split it 50-50. You'll make money, you'll teach people Torah, and I'll make money by bringing you around. I'll be kind of like your manager and your driver. So I figured, okay, I'm just laying here for years in the sick house. Nothing is happening. I would love to teach Torah. So he carried me out, laid me down in his wagon, made me very comfortable with a straw mat and a pillow, covered me with a blanket, and we started traveling around. We came to one Jewish community, and he announces, I have a great Torah genius here in the wagon. He's sick and he can't move. But wait till you hear the gems that come out of his mouth. And people gathered around, and they gave it to our Torah, and they really took pity on me and poured money into the wagon. So this young entrepreneur was very happy. He looked at me, he said, what do you think? So let's keep going. So we continued traveling around. Sometimes he would take me out of the wagon, put me in a chair. Sometimes I would stay in the wagon. And one time we came across a young woman who was in the same situation as me. She was also sick and she couldn't move. And people had to carry her around. And I got a little glance of her and I saw the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. She looks at me and she says, what are you two doing? And I told her, this guy over here, he came into the sick house. He said to me, why don't we travel around and we'll make money. And we're making money. So she said, can I join you in your journeys? I mean, you're laying down in the wagon. I can also lay down in the wagon. And so she joined us. And we had many hours of just traveling in the wagon together. And even though we couldn't move because we were both so sick, we got to know each other very well. And she was so beautiful and so kind. And at one point I said to her, I know it's kind of impossible to do, but I'd really like to marry you. And so we put together a very simple wedding. And after the wedding, my bride was crying. And I said to her, what's wrong? She said, you know, when I was a child, I had been engaged to a great young scholar. And he broke off the engagement. And you're a wonderful man. And you're also a scholar. But I'm still sad that I didn't marry him. And I said to her, tell me about the engagement. She said, you know, my father was very wealthy, and there was this young Torah genius, and then my father lost all of his money, and they broke off the engagement. And I realized that this was the woman that I had been engaged to when I was five or six years old. We had both gotten so sick, we didn't recognize each other. And when we realized that we had married one another without even knowing it, we were so happy. And I realized the illness that seemed like such a curse. And such a terrible thing was actually Hashem allowing the best thing to happen to me. And then another miracle happened. Slowly, the two of us started getting healthier until we got to the point where we had a full recovery. And so the host turns to the Vilna Gaon. He says, now you understand why I give my wife so much respect and honor. I'm doing everything I can to compensate for the suffering that I caused her by the engagement being broken off. I know how much suffering and pain it caused her. And the least I can do is give her so much joy and pleasure and honor right now. And so you see, my sweetest friends, sometimes we suffer a lot thinking that Hashem is just doing something to us for no reason. But you should know that everything that Hashem does is ultimately for the good. And if you're lucky, you merit to see it in this world. And if not, you'll see it in the world to come. But one thing you can know right now is that Hashem doesn't make mistakes and you can be joyous in all the good you have 
and even joyous in all the bad. We should only hear good news, my sweetest friends, and be able to serve Hashem with joy. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. I want to wish a mazel tov to my son-in-law, Mendy, and my daughter, Alma, on the birth of their daughter, who's yet to be named, Bezat Hashem, tomorrow. She should grow up to Torah, chupa, v'maasim tovim, and we should all get chassidah from her and her from us. And I want to also thank the supporters of this podcast, specifically the Edelkop family of Florida, Thank you so much for your kind and generous contribution. And to their son, Yisrael, who listens every night before going to bed. Shalom Aleichem, Yisrael. And also to the Libkin family of Maryland. Thank you so much for your kind contributions. And thank you everyone for listening and for sharing and for commenting. And please keep on telling your friends. And if you would like to contribute to the podcast, there's a link in the show notes of each episode. All contributions are welcome and appreciated. And all listeners are welcome and appreciated. And so shalom aleichem, my sweetest friends. Until the next time, zai gesund. Take care.